Sauce. Welcome back to the Leverage Podcast. I'm Ari Mizell. And our guest today is Tom Bilyeu, who was the co-founder of Quest Nutrition and now the, the host and also founder of Impact Theory. Uh, since you don't know us, you know, between the two of us, Nick is, is much more of the numbers guy. So I know that he's going to have some questions about how you grew Quest Nutrition 57,000% in three years, which makes for <laughs> a very enough. catchy headline. But I mean, you guys were just like a rocket ship. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. No question. Did you go from $1 to $57,000? <laughs> yeah, right. That's uh, that's the real question. No, we, um, we went from not existing to being valued at over a billion dollars. And that was just straight math on EBITDA in less than five years. So it was real growth in terms of like physical growth, we went from renting a kitchen by the hour and making the bars by hand to having uh, one of our facilities was 300,000 square feet. And we were producing like 1.5 million bars a day or are producing 1.5 million bars a day. I mean, it's just bonkers. What multiple on Ibiza did you put on that to get to a billion? Yeah, that we don't disclose. Okay. So nice already, try that. I'm already getting a deep in minute one here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay. Did you guys raise money? Um, that was the first time. Yeah. We did for diversification purposes, just to not have all of our eggs in one basket. But it was a very small percentage investment. But from just because of the valuation was so incredible, it was you know quite a significant amount of raw dollars. To call this space competitive, I think, is really an understatement. I mean, you go into any store and there's 50 different nutrition bars you know, that you can buy. So like, what do you think made it different for you guys in this journey? Well, first and foremost, the product is just always, always going to be king. So we were as three guys looking at the protein bar market and there wasn't a single bar on the market that we would eat. They either tasted terribly and were good for you, or they were tasty as the day is long, but terrible for you. Um, there's just so much sugar that was rampant in the bar market before we got involved so we were uh, making protein bars at home and bringing them to work because it is a super convenient way to get your protein. And we thought, well, there's at least a market for three, uh, you know. So and we thought maybe there's a bigger market at play here. And the irony was for us in the beginning, because we were going after people in the bodybuilding and fitness communities who really understand what they're eating and they really care we just couldn't get them to try it because they're like, we don't eat protein bars. Protein bars are candy bars in disguise. In fact, that was one of our first marketing messages was we're the first bar that's not a candy bar in disguise. That was the hard part, which honestly, I did not expect. I did not expect that giving away the product would be difficult. So what happened? We just kept at it. And literally, we were like carnival barkers at all the major trade events in the health and fitness community, just like, you know, trying to figure out what is going to be that hot button issue. Just take a bite, read the back, like read the ingredients, read the nutrition facts. And we thought we could get ourselves in a position where people would read the nutrition facts, they'd read the ingredient panel and go, there's no way this is going to taste good. And then when they tried it, they'd be like, holy hell. And that's exactly what happened. We just had to stay after it. We had to write letters to individual influencers, which of course, none of that lingo existed back then, but it was finding people that were influential in the space. We were really focused on social media, which everybody at that time thought it was just a total distraction. Nobody really knew how to use it for business marketing. And we were just 
hell bent to make something that was community focused, that was value add, where even our marketing message was in and of itself something that people wanted to engage with. So we started writing to those people saying, look, we know who you are. We know what you're doing. We really believe in what you're doing. And we just want to send you some free product. And by the way, if you hate it, tell people you hate it. But if you love it, tell people you love it. All we ask is that you talk. And because we weren't trying to, you know, like force people to say, like, you need to say nice things this many times a week. And it it just really gave us a great reputation. People knew that we sincerely wanted to create something that was going to add value to them. And a lot of these people are trainers. So add value to them, add value to their customers. And because the people that were using it were seeing results with it, it, it just caught on like wildfire. It was really, really exciting. And where are you selling mainly right now? Is it all mostly coming online? No, no. That was the truth for probably two or three years. But now it's the vast majority of our revenue comes from retail channels. What made you settle on using Allulose as the sweetener? So Allulose is something that we only use in the new products. And and full disclosure, I'm not at Quest anymore and haven't been for uh, almost a year now. So we're getting a little dicey in terms of me speaking specifically to why they use certain ingredients. But I was there when um, we were first introducing Allulose. And the reason is from a metabolic standpoint, the body um, only metabolizes like 0.4 calories, I think, per gram with allulose, if I remember correctly. Um, So you're not getting the caloric hit, you're not getting the blood sugar spike, and yet it actually is a sugar. So it's actually listed um, in the sugars column, but doesn't metabolize like that, um, but still has the, the palatability of a sugar. So it's, it's a really exciting new ingredient that I think you're going to see more and more people using. How does that compare to xylitol? Um, I, it's, so xylitol is a sugar alcohol, so a lot of people are going to have digestive upset. If I remember right, xylitol has a zero calorie count. Um, so this has 0.4 calories per gram and doesn't have any of the GI distress, or at least I'll say if it does in some people, it's, it's far more rare than, um, with any of the talls. From going from making them in the kitchen to having a 300,000 square foot facility, making a million and a half bars, like that, that doesn't happen overnight, obviously. Like where, where was the sort of the tipping point for you, I guess. And, and at what point it was like, okay, we need a big facility, we need all this kind of stuff. It, there really was no sort of one minute to the next. It was this constant state of growth. So it really was, I don't know if mathematically it equals exact um, exponential growth, but it was close. So in the early days, you're doubling, but it's not that scary because you're going, you know, like you said, you go from a dollar to two dollars. Okay, that's manageable. You go from two to four, no problem. It's when you start going from one million dollars a month to two million dollars a month that it's like, holy hell. And that's where you're starting to really ask yourself, like, are we willing to bet that this growth is going to continue? Because you're looking at the way you have to order ingredients. And we literally had months, by the way, that we'd go from like 2 million to 4 million one month over the next. And you had to anticipate that sometimes up to two months in advance because you have to order the ingredients um, because it'll have, you know, six, some ingredients even had 12 week lead times. And so it was like, you had to prognosticate, like, is my growth really going to keep up? Because if I'm doing one now, I double month over month, like it's, it's insanity three months out. And how do you manage the cash flow? And it really, that was like, you want to talk about having the guts to continue to bet big because part of your brain is just like, it can't keep up. We can't continue to double like this. And then it would surprise us and it would keep doubling. And so it was 
it was an ingredient management, cash flow management, like full-time job. Like you just couldn't take your eye off that ball for one second. And then even more difficult was the physical space. So you would have to, and, and we just got some, we were bold and we got some lucky breaks. So there was a facility that we took over that at first we were only going to take over half the facility and we had like a contractual contingency that we had the right of first refusal on the second half of the facility. And so we thought we'd need it in about a year. We were growing so fast that by the time we finished moving into the space, so we finished the lease and then actually moving in, we needed to take over then the second half. And the landlord was just like, whoa. He'd just never seen, we'd never seen anything like it. I mean, it was just crazy. What's taking up most of your time now that you've left Quest? I'm full time on Impact Theory, which is a studio. So we're, we had built up inside of Quest, the studio designed to create all the social content that we were doing and ended up spinning that off into a standalone company, but not what most people would think. We don't make content for anybody else. We are trying to answer the question, what would Disney look like if it were founded today? I think there would be a huge social component, uh, but there would also be the traditional things like movies and TV shows and uh, comic books is something that we're also focusing on because it has a low financial barrier to entry, but you can build community around it because it's serialized and then it's a traditional path to creating intellectual property for film and television. Um, so that's something that we're working on as well. So I believe that in my life, the two things I was meant to address are the dual pandemics of the body and the mind. And the body is very easy for people to understand because people die very visibly and you see people struggle with you know, ongoing chronic illness. Obesity is, is obviously so visible. Diabetes starts to manifest very visibly. People get that, but people don't necessarily understand the mind and very few people understand the inextricable connection between the body and the mind, which as more research comes out, I think the next five years, is really going to be a startling epiphany of research coming out showing the real link between the body and the mind. Like I'll just give you one example, the vagus nerve, um, which is, if I'm not mistaken, the thickest uh, bundle of nerves that you have in your body. It's 80% sending feedback from the body back to the brain. So it, it's just utterly fascinating, the connection that exists, that it, it really is a two-way street. So um, that's why for me, I know from the outside, it seems weird that I went from you know focusing on health and nutrition to now focusing on what seems like entertainment. But to me, it was the answer to the question of no BS, what would it take to help people free themselves from a limiting mindset? that that then feeds into the health of body and mind. You've had like Michael Strahan on the show, Dr. Shafali, Tim Ferriss. Like how do you decide who you want to talk to? By the way, the Tim Ferriss one was great. I watched that. Thank you, man. Uh, I'm bringing on anybody that I think has something to say about mindset, that knows how to develop the mind, that has either a slew of insights, like a Tim Ferriss who just seems endless in the directions that he can talk in, or somebody like Dr. Shafali who's very specifically um, aimed at the changes you need to make within yourself in order to, the framing that she uses is raise children, but I found that it's very advantageous just for doing that internal work on yourself um, to be what we'll call more secure and stable in the way that you think about, conceptualize yourself. Um, so yeah, that I, I'm just looking for anybody that can help me gain an insight, help the audience gain an insight. And what does that team look like for you now? Like you obviously have the studio, you, are you, you're filming in LA? We do, yeah. So we um, built a studio inside my house um, and we've got- that's, That studio's in your house? Yeah. <laughs> 
It's really nice. <laughs> Thank you. you. Don't have to travel, yeah. right? So that that was part of it. And then we're, we've got this whole concept that we call Impact House, where we're trying to become the hub of influencers. I think that we're still in the absolute infancy of what's happening from personal branding, from influential marketing, and we want to be that nexus, that hub, and. A, being here in Southern California so that we have, you know, like 80% of the year is beautiful weather and so people can come hang out. And so the the kind of connections that we want to help other people make that we want to make. So one example is I also hugely believe that a lot of the changes that we want to help people make mentally play out in the entrepreneurial world. So we're also focused on helping certain businesses um, grow and develop. And my fantasy path, which is exactly how the first company that we got involved with went, was it started as a guest on the show, um, one of the world's most foremost neuroscientists, a guy named V.S. Ramachandran, uh, just an, an astonishing mind. And at the end of the episode, he was like, off camera, he's like, you actually really understand this stuff. Uh, he said, it's not a lot of um, entrepreneurs that understand neuroscience. It'd be really fascinating. I'm getting involved in this company over here. They're making a device. Um, they need somebody to advise them that really understands marketing and business, um, but they haven't moved on anybody because nobody understands the science of it well enough to really bridge those two gaps. You should contact the CEO. So he put me in touch with them and I've since joined the board. And so that to me, like that kind of thing, and then having, you know, let's say a Dr. Shafali walks in and you've got social influencers here, you've got a neuroscientist here, and people are making all these weird connections. And that's really the, the vision that we have is to make this a cultural nexus point where mindset is coming together with entrepreneurship is coming together with people that know how to use media in an influential way. So whether that ends up being musicians, whether that's, um, you know, your traditional mindset, uh, influencer, who's a motivational speaker, whatever. Um, but bringing all of those people together, literally under one roof, um, and, and making an environment where people feel very welcomed. So that was why we built the set here. I mean, I think that that's great because as an entrepreneur, one of the hardest things about it isn't, I mean, it's hard to have a good idea and it's hard to have the resources, but it's even harder to have the right mindset because inevitably things will, you'll go through good times and bad times and you have to be mentally tough to be able to endure those bad times and stay motivated and, and all that. So I think it's great what you're doing. Thank you, man. What's the, the sort of next step for, for you with Impact Theory? So right now, we're doing uh, a really good job. I'm very proud of the social content that we're putting out. We put about seven hours of content out a week. Next step for us is the traditional content. So what, what does an Impact Theory comic book look like? What does an Impact Theory TV show or movie look like? So we're moving those forward. We have a, a very um, clear path to do that. And for us, it's starting with comic books. We've made some offers to obtain the life rights to some of our past guests um, to then turn that into a fictionalized version of their life so that we can serialize it, so that we can build the drama. And like, if you look at the problem of reality TV, it's that they always have to heighten the drama, but usually at the, the expense of truth. So what I want to do is, is not make any, um, you know, qualms about the fact that it's a fictionalized version, but it's based on somebody who's real and you can see the, 
the thematic underpinnings of their you know belief system that made you resonate with them as an influencer, but we're taking that now and, and turning it into a fictionalized version. Build a community around the comic book and then sell the comic book either as a TV show or a film. Um, ultimately, down the road, we'd want to make that ourselves, but at this point, we just don't have the you know the millions and millions of dollars that it takes to build traditional content out right now and there's people doing it whether you know that's netflix amazon hulu uh traditional network whatever the case may be on the tv side or i mean netflix is even doing movie side as well um or you know a traditional studio going out to a sony or a warner brothers um and and selling it and so we've you know we've got an even bigger vision which ties into merchandising and things like that but i won't bore you with all of that but um that's all part of the vision and how we plan to monetize and become you know truly self-sustaining You've grown very, very different businesses, you know, that have nothing to do. Well, not nothing to do each other, but there's very different industries. What were you doing before Quest? Well, so my my journey really started as a filmmaker, and so that was my ah. background. <laughs> Went to film school, and then realized other people controlled the art. And if I wanted to control the art, that I had to get rich. And so I set myself on a journey to getting rich, only to realize that chasing money is the lamest thing on the face of the planet and possibly the worst way to actually get rich. I had an emotional crisis, end up trying to get out of business, um, only to end up staying because I realized that there was a whole other way to do business which was to put the customer and the employee first, to be focused on value and passion, and that the answer to that and what that looked like ended up being Quest. So my partners and I really felt strongly at the same time that there was just a new way to do business. And we didn't know if it would make a huge business. Don't get me wrong. It's not like we said, hey, if we do it this way, it's going to be the biggest thing we've ever been involved in. We just got so frustrated with business as usual that we wanted to really thinking about adding value to people's lives, really doing something that we're passionate about. And quite frankly, that we would love doing every day, even if we were failing, because we realized by that point that the struggle is guaranteed. Success is not. So if struggle is the guarantee, <laughs> then you better enjoy the struggle. It better be something that you really care about. So that was how we ended up getting into Quest. And then we had so much financial success there that that gave me the latitude to build the studio. And so that's where we're at now. And before, by the way, Quest, it was a technology company, just to be very specific. What was that about? Uh, it was security software. So data loss prevention, if you've ever heard of it. So you're, you have um, corporate documents and things you don't want leaking out of your organization, either intentionally or unintentionally. And so we created the software to stop that. And um, you pivoted or you sold that company? No, we and... ended up selling that. Okay, gotcha. The last question, uh, Tom, that we always like to ask in these interviews is what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? And you can interpret that however you like. Nice. So the first one is by far the most critical, and that is it matters what you build your self-esteem around. So most people build their self-esteem around being smart, being right, um, whatever their skill set is, that their skill set is great and they want to prove that to the world. Uh, that is a very fragile way to build your self-esteem. And I think self-esteem is critical. I think pride is critical. Um, it's going to be the thing that makes you feel good, gives you the energy to push and go. But you can switch that to something that is very anti-fragile. So being the learner, identifying the right answer faster than somebody, being able to admit when you're wrong, lightning fast, those things, that that is so foundational. And when people do that, truly, it will echo through the rest of their life. The second thing is you've got to optimize your time. You've got to be utterly ferocious with how you spend your time. So not only having a morning routine, which is already critical, uh, but also just 
What are the things that you do and don't do during the day? And that brings us to the third thing, which is what you do and don't do during the day should be a slave to your goal. And your goal needs to be freakishly specific, entirely clear, so that you can at all times be optimizing every element of your life to move you towards your goals. It seems like you've been asked this question before. I mean, that was probably the best answer that we've ever the had. The funny thing is I've never been asked like that, but when you get to somebody's <laughs> core foundational beliefs, if they struggle too much to answer, then chances are that yeah. they, they just don't have clarity. Those three things are my obsession in life. That's really great. Where can people find out more about you? At Tom Bilyeu. So I am super active socially. Uh, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of them. I guess technically YouTube is forward slash Tom Bilyeu. Uh, my name is spelled a little bit weird. It's B as in Bravo, I-L-Y-E-U. Um, but uh, yeah, I am very, very active. And like I said, we're, we're putting out a ton of content every week. Awesome. Well, Tom, thank you so much for your time. That was great. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Want to create more positive leverage in your life? Visit www.getleverage.com to access additional interviews, our blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe to hear a new episode every week.